Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Alright, welcome to episode 14. As always, you can find us on the web at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. You'll find all the streaming and social media information there. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Kevin Mahoney. Kevin's been in a variety of bands over the years, such as Roses Are Red, Joy Wave, Hit the Lights, and various others. And in addition to that, I don't know if he remembers or not, but him and I share a birthday. Um, so I guess without any further ado, how you doing today, Kevin? Damn, dude, it's not even our birthday either. <laughs> to share a podcast what's good man it's been a long time yeah yeah it really has that's been the fun part about doing these these interviews and stuff is catching up with old friends that i hadn't talked to in a while and you know like you and i were kind of saying before we started the interview it kind of sucks that all this has to happen you know during the covid and kind of a, a situation none of us really prepared for or whatever but you know it's uh we're all kind of getting by the way we have to do at this point you know so everybody's in the same boat doing what you gotta do yeah, so I guess kind of jumping into the interview and topics and stuff like that, um, describe your upbringing and kind of what brought you into the hardcore and punk scene over in, in general. Man, it, this part of the story, same as I think probably everybody, you know, grew up in the suburbs, Henrietta, the Henrietta kids. Uh, somewhere along the way, I think uh, we got into skateboarding. I think we just like met the right kids in school, you know, that were like, you know, are you into this? Have you checked this out? We started getting magazines and, and dove really hard into the skateboarding and all it took was a couple skate videos and you're like, what is that? Oh, that's that's Minor Threat. That's Black Flag. That's seven seconds. It's, you know, something awesome. And it was a, a good eye-opener into, like, uh, the world of different music that I think before that, you know, you really only heard what was on the radio, heard what your parents listened to and what, like, your friends listened to. I think I had a friend that listened to Green Day and MXPX. <clears throat> but uh but yeah skate videos man that's kind of what uh what got me into it it seemed like it meshed so well with with that whole vibe and it was so much cooler than like math class and henrietta that it was like very intoxicating and i was like cool how do i do that how do i get involved in everything that that has to do with and uh i think that's kind of what drew me drew me into it started it yeah, that's interesting. Most people I've interviewed, it's it's kind of either one or the other. It's it's, it's skateboarding like you, and then some people were kind of into like metal and stuff like that, and then they just kind of progressed into like yeah. hardcore and punk and stuff that had more of a you know communal vibe as opposed to the where you know with metal and stuff like that. It's not really you know you feel like you're kind of there's a barrier there. It's you know obviously it's a literal barrier, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, even with that, I mean, I I listened to to uh, some metal from skate videos and things like that around that time and I had friends that were like, you know, oh, you should listen to Pantera, you should listen to a couple of these metal bands. And at the time, I mean, I was a kid and sitting in your house trying to like learn how to play that stuff just seemed like it's never going to happen. There's no way I'm going to be able to solo like this, you know? Like it was a, an unreachable goal but then you put on like Blink-182 or something like that and you're like, well, maybe I could do that. You know, so it was kind of a combination too. Of once you saw that stuff in the skate videos, it also made everything make sense. And I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, I wanna, I wanna try all of that." So. Yeah, and Blink One Eight Two is actually an interesting band too, because you know they're not a band that I've ever huge been into, but like I've seen them live a bunch of times. And my girlfriend and I were just talking last night about how influential they ended up being. Like, you know, what I mean, there's so many kids that 
Like yeah. it's kind of like for me, like Green Day and Rancid and Offspring were like my generation. And like four or five years later, Blink One Eight Two like influenced so many kids to get into punk and then eventually hardcore. And it's absolutely you know it's cool. So were you already playing instruments around that time, or, or did you start like once you started playing your first band? Yeah, I think like uh, my dad played the guitar and uh, so did my grandfather. So it kind of had like always been around. You know, there was always like records being played in the house and and somebody like fiddling around on the guitar. And, um, I know my like my mom had like went to a bunch of concerts. She always had like cool stories, which is like really out of character for her that like also made music seem so cool. And uh, so yeah, as soon as I was old enough and people in school started talking about like playing guitar and playing instruments and starting bands and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, I wanna I wanna do this too. You know, I think when you're a kid, you're just you're trying to do anything that seems cool and anything that'll make you friends. And I was just like, yeah, guitar seemed familiar. Seemed familiar. I knew that one. So I uh, asked for a guitar for Christmas, and I, my dad bought me some, like, $200 PV that fell off the back of the truck at uh, House of Guitars <laughs> and uh, still got it. Yeah, that's really cool. My, my sister bought me a cheap guitar when I was in, like, ninth grade, and, you know, I teetered around with, like, three chords and stuff like that, but never really... You know, I, I never ended up playing in any bands. I mean, I sang for a couple of crappy local bands, but nothing really worth talking about on this podcast or whatever. Um, <laughs> those coming later, though, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's cool you had the parents that kind of, you know, helped influence a little bit, too. Like, my girlfriend and I have a, have a two-year-old son now, and, and we always try to, like, it's e- it's easier to introduce him more to the music she likes because she's into more, like, 60s and, like, Elton John and stuff like that. So I think that's a little easier on his ears. Like, I'll try to play in, like, hardcore and punk and reggae sometimes, and he'll listen to it for like 30 seconds and he wants the Muppets to, to go back on or whatever. So, but you know, my fingers are crossed that he'll kind of dive into some of the underground stuff that we like when he gets older, you know? Yeah. I think it all changes, you know, uh, when I was growing up, there was a lot of like, uh, a lot of temptations, a lot of like old Motown stuff. Um, uh, from my dad's side. And then my mom was really into like, like the eighties pop radio at the time, you know? So a lot of tears for fears, Madonna, Duran Duran, whatever was being played. So it was a cool mix of stuff. And then, you know, all it took was growing up and getting some friends and stuff like that. Start to show you some of the underground stuff. And I took right to it. Yeah. And it's easier now, like you and I, when like, I know you and I are a couple of years apart or whatever, but like when we were coming up, there wasn't like Spotify and, and like all this stuff now where kids can just like, learn about like whether it be hardcore punk emo even hip-hop like anything you can you can you can learn everything like in a day or two basically whereas when we were kids you know you had to read the lyric sheets and the thanks list and just kind of like you know six degrees of separation type thing for the bands um so i guess kind of getting into bands off of just reading the thanks list out of like cds yeah i mean like being like wow i keep seeing a bunch of these bands making this band bane i should go try to check out a bane cd you know what i mean yeah now it's like you can look it up on the internet and you're like, oh, Bane, they were huge. Like, I remember Hatebreed had, like, this ridiculously long thanks list on their first LP, and I was just like, man, who are all these bands? Like, I kind of knew about Hardcore by then, obviously, but, like, like because Jamie Jasta obviously had such a network of people he was working with, so it was just like he knew everybody. But, yeah, the thanks list were definitely the place to go. Um, but I guess kind of diving into to bands and stuff, uh, the first band I remember you playing in was Against the Odds. Was that was that pretty much the start of your, your musical playing? Yeah, that was like the first uh, band that I did that uh, actually went out and played shows and stayed together for more than a month and stuff like that. I mean, formative years, man, it was awesome. Yeah, and Chris time. and Chris from that band, he ended up kind of doing some cool stuff too. He played in more bands, and now you guys are kind of both doing like the recording thing. It seems like so. 
Yeah, yeah, he's in Rochester uh, producing some stuff, and uh, Mike from that band also uh, played in a, a couple cool like local bands, like Pack of Vipers and stuff like that. And he's still out. Uh, I saw him at the Achilles show a couple months ago. That was great. That was a good little reunion. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I've had Rob on here already, and I'm gonna do a a couple weeks from now. I'm gonna do an interview with Rory and Brian Van Etten to kind of go over like Stamp Fast, and then maybe we'll, if we need to, we'll do a separate one for Rory for for Achilles. You know, um, yeah. but Rochester definitely. Yeah, for being such a small city, we have a, a nice uh, little little bit of history that's come in the last like twenty five years, and even before that, I guess. But you know, as I'm sure you've noticed, I'm mainly covering like the years that that I was like super active in this, and then maybe we'll get into more current stuff eventually. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, those uh, the, the good old days, man. Yeah, yeah, they really were fun. They were fun times. Um, so yeah, I guess against the odds, kind of kind of led you to bigger things though. So then you joined Roses or Red. Uh, I don't know if were you in the band when they were still called Nobody Cares, or did you join more closer when they changed the name? For the uh, for the end of it, yeah, for the end of the Nobody Cares era, uh, we played a show together, and uh, I mean, against the odds was was pretty rough. You know, we were just like fifteen, sixteen year old kids, and uh, you know, like like you had mentioned before, there was no internet, so we didn't we had to like search out the things that we were trying to reference, and like you know, really took some some uh molding to try to figure out what we were doing which i don't think we ever fully got the idea down but uh uh matt from rose red and nobody cares uh, i guess they were looking to try to do a two guitar thing so he wanted brian uh his brother to play guitar instead of bass and they were just like hey man uh i know you play guitar but would you mind playing bass and at the time you know nobody cares seemed so cool to like a 16 year old kid i was like yeah like you guys are like older dudes and you like tour and you know trying to do something you play to more than 10 people this is this is something i want to learn from and uh i mean it was a great thing and that eventually did turn into uh to rosa red now the funny thing you mentioned about you being like 16 when you first started talking to those dudes um obviously i I put out that cd for you guys and and now that you mentioned i remember there was a nobody cares and rosa the red cd that was the same cd that i put out and you were in the band for both obviously so i guess you would have been in the band but the funny thing I'm, I'm talking about about you being 16 or whatever is I remember Matt telling me that when they would go on like weekends and do tours and stuff, they would have to like get you to get like permission to like go to yep. the shows or whatever. So that, that had to be kind of a, you know, a little roadblock at times or whatever. It was a, I mean, it was a fun, awesome experience. It was great memories. I was 17. We would like go to a bar like after the show, you know, no way I was going to get in. Yeah. And, uh, so sometimes like the guys would go in and I just hang out outside and I would just wait there'd be times that we'd try to like, uh, cause both me and Matt kind of had like similar like facial structure and hair. So like, <laughs> we'd go in, try to like slip an ID out like the, you know, a window somewhere that I could try to come in. We tried all sorts of things. It was really fun. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I, I was just talking to, uh, to Jeremy Burke like a week or two ago about all of those days. Cause obviously he did a little, a little tour with you guys and stuff. And yeah, yeah. you know, I plan on getting him on here eventually. Cause he's kind of done some pretty, some pretty interesting stuff after, uh, the music scene, you know? Um, but so I guess, I guess after Roses are Red, uh, you ended up, were you, were you in like the first era of Polar Bear Club? Like when the band first started? Yeah. So, uh, so me and, uh, me and, me and Chris Brown, that's, that was a weird time. So the whole Roses are Red time, like a lot of people in the scene didn't really want to hang out with any of us. I think we kind of had like a, kind of like a bad vibe, I guess. Um, and me and, uh, me and Mikey still like, you know, tried to go out to shows and, try to do the thing and just be like, hey, man, nothing, nothing's changed for some of us at least, you know, but I think it was just kind of a, 
rumors going around or maybe a bad vibe or something, nobody really talked to us or hang out with us. And, uh, and Chris Brown at an Achilles show, he would come hang out because because uh, Rob Antonucci was always like a really good friend. Um, so those dudes would hang out and me and Chris didn't really know each other that well before that. We just like said hi at shows. And uh, the cool thing about that time, I didn't have many other people at shows to hang out with. Me and Chris would just talk about music and find out that we liked a lot of the same things that like we didn't realize ahead of that. And uh, when I left Rose of the Red, um, he texted me probably like a week later. I was like, hey man, I don't know if you got any plans or anything, but I've been trying to start something new if you want to jam. And I was like, dude, like, yes, this is going to be great. We've been talking forever about this stuff. I feel like we could probably make something really cool together. And all it took was one like jam sesh together and became Polar Bear Club. It was really fun. Yeah, and that band took a life took on a life of its own after not not too long of an amount of time there. You know, it's 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 really cool to think back on, you know, again for us being a small city, like like how many musical people were in this city and like the kind of bands that they did that ended up kind of, you know, like doing bigger and better things. Like, because when you and I were first coming up, there wasn't really like any bands going to Europe from here or anything like that, let alone doing weekends. You know, so it's cool to have seen like all the different things that have happened. You know. Yeah, I remember like a. Uh a jade tree ad where like trial by fire was wearing a stand fast shirt and i couldn't imagine anything being bigger than that a band on jade tree was wearing a shirt from a local band and i was like that's the tops man that's the biggest you could ever get yeah yeah imagine anything bigger than that yeah and those and those guys like trial by fire and like a lot of like the baltimore and dc and richmond dudes they all kind of it was again. It was a real community vibe. I feel like with a lot of bands like touring together and, and being friends from around here and stuff like that. It was cool. And you kind of talking about how you guys like Rose the Red were kind of like outsiders. I feel like it was it was really weird that like I mean for me especially like being more known for hardcore and then putting out a CD like that. I think the scene was just so uh, closed minded at the time that it had to have like a certain style or whatever and that people people just weren't really into welcoming different things whereas now obviously i feel like you could get away more with having like like hardcore and like pop and stuff like that like together you know it's it's interesting to see the way things change yeah i mean it's definitely changed uh the weird thing about it is like i feel like when when i was younger and going to shows like i'd go see a show where it'd be like pop unknown would play and then like you know like some heavy band like inkling would play i think they played on that show and Mm -hmm. like you know, you'd see, like, every time I die, I play with, like, Saves the Day, or or it was uh, 18 Visions with Saves the Day, and, like, there was, like, a lot of mixed things going on, but not as much locally. I feel like locally was more, like, a little bit more split, and I always liked the, the mix of stuff, because I just, I just thought, like, good shit was good. Yeah, Rob and I, and, and then even when I interviewed Chris Green a couple weeks ago, we, we've all kind of talked about that, how, like, it seemed like back then there were more diverse bills, but I definitely know what you mean about Rochester being kind of more... Uh, clicky, I guess would be a good word for it too. You know, it's just a lot clicky of kids. Is absolutely, the word, and I, I could never figure out how to fit into any of the clicks, but that's all right. I enjoyed watching it from the outside too. Yeah, that shit was cool. It all worked out in in kind of a cool way, and I understand uh, Rose Red not being part of the click. <laughs> totally cool. I totally get it. Is what it is. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, even though you guys weren't really technically a hardcore band, it was always fun for like Tom Zenz and I to to try and stage dive at your shows and. I think we even got D-Lo, we got D-Lo to stage dive with the one show the one time too, which is pretty funny, obviously. So, um, yeah, but so I guess after you did Polar Bear Club, I remember, uh, 
I had kind of been in Denver, not for very long, but I was always kind of trying to do like the hippie backpack, like travel cross country and just kind of not being as associated with, with hardcore and stuff like that for like a year or so. And then I, I never really knew Chris Pogue all that, that well at the time, but I'd seen one of his earlier bands play. And then I remember, I can't remember who gave me the demo. Maybe even you posted it online or something for Heavy Hearted. And I was like, man, this is really good. And around the same time, Rain Supreme was coming around too. So it was like a couple bands that kind of, you know, revitalized me with hardcore and stuff like that. And I think I remember even you and you and Chris came to my house when I was living with Brian Allerton at the time, and we talked about doing that first show. So what was that experience like about about like doing Heavy Hearted and stuff like that, and like kind of playing like a, a more traditional like hardcore sounding band? Yeah, uh, that band was also. I mean, like some some of the memories with some of these bands is just. I mean, it's incredible lifelong things that I'm so lucky to to be able to have. Uh, Polar Bear Club was a, a really big one where I could like I could leave another band and do something that I believed in and I and I actually really enjoyed and I had so much fun in that. Um, when I left, it was on really good terms and it was only because some of the other guys had like you know real things that they could do in life and I really didn't want to do anything else but music um, and so when I left I, I didn't really have a plan I just knew like an end game that I wanted to reach but I didn't really know how to do it and uh, me and Pogue just started talking online and uh, we didn't really know each other that well but just became friends and uh, I mean I think we would sit there and talk on like AOL instant <laughs> messenger like for hours and you know about just whatever and it was like wow this is like a new great friendship which maybe why don't we do something together and, and it turned into heavy hearted basically just took a bunch of his friends and uh made like wrote some songs and made a demo and just started literally like giving it to every single person we saw in rochester for like months and that was uh that was really fun also a little short-lived and uh never made it past the local spot but it was cool we did get to do a couple cool tours so yeah, no, that was. I, th I think there's a few bands in Rochester that, like, looking back on, I kind of wish they had done more and had more of an opportunity to tour. And that's definitely, you know, as as we'll dive into a little bit more, like Pogue's definitely one of my favorite frontmen in Rochester, and I'm sure you obviously would be able to agree since you've been in bands with him. You know, hundred percent agree. I mean, I think he's uh, he's he's got something to say. I mean, I think we're also blessed that there's been a lot of really good frontmen in Rochester. I think a lot of people have had a lot to say and a lot to offer, and. Uh, I mean, I feel blessed. I've, honestly, I've gotten to learn from all of them, watching them in the crowd, like seeing what they have to bring and being like, wow, that is, like, he's really saying something or wow, he's really working that crowd, whatever, uh, you know, each specific person brings. There's been a good number. And, uh, you know, Pogue's life, definitely a couple things have hit him pretty hard and he's got a lot to say and a lot to, to get off his chest and he sounds great doing it and it's comes from a good person. It's uh fun to play music behind them man it's cool yeah yeah definitely so i think was it during heavy hearted that you ended up joining hit the lights is that how that came about it was like right at the end uh we were we were we were having a having some fights we were, we were having some differences as to like what the next step really should be um and it it was just like a perfect storm of like we were having fights uh my girlfriend at the time uh also was was pregnant and I got a phone call that was like from Nate from Hit The Lights who's also from Rochester and he was like hey man I don't know if you still play guitar but we've been looking for a, a guitar player and I was like cool when you need me there I'll come try out you know I was like yeah that sounds like something I want to do and uh 
and I actually I really like that band and uh, and I knew I really liked Nate a lot too so I was like this is this might be something I should definitely go check it out and so day one I realized I was like oh these are all my new best friends and uh, that was probably one of the best things I've ever done and then that band kind of took you back into like more of the same scene as Roses Are Red but but it seems like you, you played some bigger shows with that band than you had with Roses Are Red probably right yeah yeah Roses Are Red uh, you know probably opened shows uh, to I don't know, maybe an average outside of Rochester of like, you know, 150. Um, hit the lights would be like, you know, direct support for Simple Plan, stuff like that. Wow. So it was like definitely like a, a big difference, but uh, but it was awesome. I mean, it didn't start out, obviously, direct support for Simple Plan, but uh, it was a fun uh, ladder to get there. And I mean, was in that band for a decade, which is nuts. Technically still going. Technically, we never broke up. We're just not doing anything but still yeah. uh still love those dudes yeah it seems like there's a lot of bands that are technically not broken up uh out there that i've come in contact with this podcast and just in general like you know hardcore punk emo like uh, there's just a lot of bands that sometimes you'll see a band like bane that'll like finally realize they've, they've hit their end and they want to do like a final tour but a lot of bands you know it just seems like you got, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's kind of good to leave the door open like that too like if you want to do stuff down the road you're able to you know and that's kind of why we did it uh I mean, we talked about maybe doing, like, final stuff to really give it, like, some closure and be able to, like, celebrate with bands and maybe pull out some crazy songs and do, like, you know, merch we'd never get away with otherwise and, and you know, hit our favorite cities one last time together and all that. I still would love to do that, but uh, so far, like, management and label have been, like, you know, maybe hold off a little bit. You never know what, you know, what offer could come up. You might get something that's a dream that won't come if you break up or, you know, so we've been kind of holding on for that um we were going to play one show uh in 2020 it was going to be a uh, a show with blink 182 so we thought that like we're like hey us not breaking up really worked out but then 2020 happened and uh so not happening anymore yeah no this has definitely been a crazy year as we'll obviously get to uh towards the end of this conversation um i feel like 2020 could be like an entire like volume of podcast basically just all the crazy shit that's happened yeah. this year you know um Absolutely. But so now with Holy War, did that kind of start towards the end of you doing Hit the Lights then? Or? That kind of came uh, somewhere near the end, but not like the end end. I'd say probably like 2014 maybe um, is kind of where that started. We just had a bunch of off time and uh, it just seemed like a really good time to like make music with friends again. And not, you know, because at this point I was making music only with people that lived in another state. <clears throat> so I'd have to go like seven hours to Ohio just that band practice you know and when you're not on tour you know if you're not playing music you're like what am i gonna do if you have other music you want to make the perfect time to do it and you know you go to shows and i was seeing all sorts of friends getting to play in bands together and start new bands and they're playing shows you know every month and and it feels almost a little bit like the old days you know you're going into bug jar and it's just a hardcore kid stage dive into their friend's band and you're like man i miss all those times so we just wanted to start something that was like, oh, friends playing together that don't have to take it serious. If we don't want to do something, we're just not going to do it. Um, just make something ourselves, and hopefully people like it, and we'll play a couple shows here and there. And uh, that's that's what Holy War became, and uh, it's been cool. I think we've only played like four or five shows ever, but 
we, I mean, we have plans to make another record and want to keep doing it. It's, it's fun to get that excuse to be able to like do that one thing with your friends. Yeah, and it seems like uh, I actually haven't gotten the opportunity to see you guys live, but it seems like Pogue's kind of taken his stage presence to another level with that band. You always see pictures of him like with a you know a bloody face and wearing the wearing the fingerless gloves or whatever. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. It seems like and, he's. I mean, the whole thing is just kind of you know just do what you feel like doing. You know, like if, if he had something he wanted to do on stage, something that felt like him, more power to you, man. Do do your thing, and. uh you know, it's gone through a lot, especially in those years. Uh, so it has a lot to say on stage and a lot to say in the songs. And, you know, it's just been a cool way, like I said, to, to be able to play music with friends. And I, I think it's important for for somebody in the band like Pogue who doesn't have uh, something else also to be able to express themselves in those ways and to be able to give that to a friend and make something cool together is also like, I mean, what a cool time to be able to just record something. In my, I think we recorded, like, the old stuff in my mother's basement and put it out. And, like, you know, such a simple thing to just four friends making music in a basement. And uh, to have that, like, be listened to is a cool thing. I mean, I think that's, like, the power of this kind of music anyways, too, you know? And like I said before, obviously, I, I really like Pogue as a front man. And, and I've talked to him about, you know, getting him on a future episode of this podcast because it would be really cool to talk to him about you know a lot of the stuff that you're mentioning and just like where he where he comes from with all this stuff you know so I'm he's sure. so funny too he's such like a, a big character you yeah know? yeah 100 percent. yeah no he's he's a good dude um so i guess i guess the only other band i really have to ask you about then and, and i was kind of surprised to see you, you you were even able to join this band would, would be a uh, joy wave um how did that all come about so joy wave you know three of the guys used to be in the hoodies and uh you know, they used to be playing shows around Rochester and stuff like that. And Rose Red uh, and the Hoodies played some shows together. So I saw them. Um, I knew they were good musicians and stuff. You know, we talk here and there, uh, just be friendly. And they had posted something, I think, on, like, MySpace. This is, like, how long ago that was, about uh, they started a new band. They had one song up. The band was called Joy Wave. So I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. And, uh, I mean, I, I thought that this could be something, you know? Like, it really surprised me it didn't feel like a rochester band either it sounded like a little elevated a little different and i was like oh like let me let me hit these guys up like this is this is great so i hit up dan and i was like hey man this is awesome like super cool uh stoked for the new band man like send me anything you guys have and i'd love to help out in any way which is you know something i i do uh, in the hit the lights days with a lot of other people as well so yeah, I hit up Dan and I was like, hey man, uh, you know, send me anything you got. I'd love to help out. Um, just, I, I feel like that's like uh, something more people need to do these days, you know, is help people out. But I definitely saw a lot of other people helping out bands they believed in and uh, that's something that always stuck with me. So I was like, you know, I'd love to, to help. And they sent me, I think Dan sent me every song they had at the time. And I was like, yeah man, this is cool. And I would like plug them to all sorts of people and nobody seemed to care and then uh he would always like you know send me new stuff and show me new songs and and it was cool i almost felt like i was like this uh this little like outside member and uh one day they needed somebody to fill in and and i was like so happy to do it and i filled in at a show at the bug jar and it was one of the funnest shows i really ever played it was a totally different vibe it was nothing like i was expecting or used to um, the whole crowd danced the entire time, like actually danced. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I was like, that's new. Like, 
no mosh pit, no stage dive, just dancing, like weird. Um, and I was playing bass, and uh, I was like, wow, man, these bass lines are super fun, and, and everything was just, had like this, uh, this fun, like freedom to it. And uh, they had talked about me coming on and, and, and playing at the time, but I was doing Hit the Lights, and I didn't want to, I felt like if I did two things that were trying to be super serious, it was going to hold somebody back. And uh, so I didn't do it. And then maybe like a year or two later, all of a sudden they had like the number one song in uh, the nation and for like alternative radio, basically with that song Dangerous. And uh, you couldn't escape that one. And uh, so it was really fun. We were actually making a, a Hit the Lights record and at the time. And every time we got back into the, the van after being in the studio, we'd turn on the radio and that Joy Wave song would be on it. God damn. You cannot escape this song. <laughs> um, and so then, uh, you know, a little bit after years, you know, I had gone by and, and watched those guys, you know, get signed and and play, uh, you know, all sorts of giant festivals and they're playing on TV and, um, you know, they're really crushing it. And I was really happy for those guys. I loved all the records. I thought they were like, honestly, one of the coolest things I've really heard come out and uh, hit the lights kind of came to an end and I moved to Nashville and uh, just I think like a year later I got a phone call I was in the studio and I got a phone call from Dan from Joywave and he just asked if I was busy and uh, the guy that was playing bass had uh, decided he was not going to do it anymore and so apparently they, they thought of their buddy and uh, <laughs> very thankful for that I told him yes within like five seconds and then uh, you know double checked with my girlfriend that I made the right choice and here we are years later i've uh, been playing with those guys and it's been amazing yeah no and you talking about them having that number one alternative rock song it, it, like again it doesn't even seem like they're a band from rochester sometimes because they're like we've never had a band like that like that yeah, big uh, i feel like you know a couple months ago we were on tour and uh dan got an email and he just goes oh uh dangerous went platinum whoa so that yeah that song is officially platinum now I guess before we get into any other uh, questions or anything, like you you had mentioned filling in for Joywave at, at one point. Uh, are there other bands that you've filled in for over the years too? Uh, yeah, so like there was a time where I was definitely trying to stay as busy as possible. And I mean, I still do that now just in different ways. But, uh, you know, um, I would take just, just about any paying gig that would call me up and, and ask me to do something. And I got a couple really cool ones of uh, some, some great bands that needed filling help and uh, – uh, a band from Rochester, Such Gold, um, they needed some help uh, at one point, and that was super fun. Got to fill in on guitar for that. Um, those songs are so freaking cool on guitar, and I mean, this is like the old stuff. Everything since then is like a thousand times more like intricate and crazy. I don't even think those dudes are human beings. Um, <laughs> they're unreal, but it was awesome to, to fill in on a tour uh, for Such Gold, and... Uh, this band Red Gold Green out of DC um, they were really cool they were like really hyped for a minute um, they don't get as much of the hype anymore but they're they're still making really cool stuff um, I filled in uh, for two months for them and that was really really different and really interesting uh, so that was like an easy one for me when their manager was like so Pharrell Williams wrote on the record and <laughs> Dave Grohl played drums. Would you like to fill in? Also, Dave Grohl might show up one of the days and play. I was like, yeah, which never happened, by the way. Totally didn't do it. Wow, that's cool, though. 
would have been really cool but uh but yeah they're they're awesome uh they're still doing stuff i think they actually have a bunch of new music coming out right now um and then uh 303 uh i don't know do you remember that band oh yeah i totally forgot about that i kind of do remember you 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 playing with them too now that you mention it yeah yeah we uh hit the lights did a tour with them and then uh then we ended up like a couple months later we're on warp tour together and they their guitar player was also Katy perry's guitar player <laughs> and he had to uh to go do a Katy perry tour after like a week in the warp tour and i guess they just didn't have something planned for it i don't know what they were thinking but uh they were like, oh, well, we're going to bring up, like, you know, different friends every day and, like, just kind of make it fun. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And, like, I had day three. I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to. You know, so I, like, learned all the songs that morning and, like, went up there. And uh, and that was cool because they were like, yeah, cool, just come up every day. And uh, I got to do the Wrestle War Tour with them, which, uh, which was sick because they also had, like, crazy special guests that would come out. Like, Lil John came out one <laughs> day and, like, did a bunch of songs with us and, like, uh, a bunch of the NoFX guys came out and did a bunch of songs and like I got to like play on stage with NoFX like the 15 year old me was like blown away you know yeah now you mentioned the Katy Perry guitar player thing was that the same year Katy Perry's on the Warp Tour or is that a different year a uh, different year this was uh this was t- uh, 2009 oh, okay I think Katy Perry was maybe like 07 or something like that she was a little bit earlier right but yeah one of their big hits uh featured Katy Perry but uh, the coolest part is that at the time um, you know they were on main stage warp tour and so to be able to play a headlining set main stage warp tour even just filling in for your friends band was like you know just an insane visual and uh, right at the beginning of the tour uh, their song uh, don't trust me went to number one number two that year was Beyonce Wow. at the time so yeah they, they had a number one song on the pop charts of like all of america they had the song and you just get up there on stage and it was just a sea of people and it was really cool to like watch that whole thing go down and, and watch these dudes like life dreams come true before their eyes it was awesome yeah you know i'm not positive but i feel like 303 might have even played you know how 90pxy will do like those summer jams here or whatever they did do the summer jam in rochester yeah i thought so yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think Hit the Lights was on the road uh, for it, and I got back, like, the day after, and I was really upset because I was, like, I think we had talked about me, like, coming on stage and, and playing the set with them, and I figured that would be, like, really cool to, you know, play 98 PXY Summer <laughs> Jam. I worked at the stadium for a couple of years, and I, and I worked there one of the years where they had the Summer Jam, and it was it was uh, pretty interesting to be there for that with all the teeny boppers there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that stuff's super fun, you know? It's a, it's a whole different world, but... I think it's all got its cool, like, elements to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, watching, I watching people enjoy music and, and even at, like, its most simplest, uh, like, level is just, it's nice. It's nice to, to watch human beings enjoy something, especially something that's so universal like music. Yeah, and I guess everyone has to kind of start somewhere. And, and I guess speaking of that, kind of going back to the Blink-182 thing, uh, you talk about all that warp tour stuff. It's it's interesting. I mean, obviously there's there's not going to be concerts for a little while, but it's interesting now that there's not a warp tour anymore because that's where a lot of kids obviously learned about a lot of this stuff, you know. And now, I mean, again, there's the internet, but it's 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 a lot different than kind of like seeing bands firsthand, like, like having a whole day where you can kind of check out like different stages and different sounds, you know. Yeah, I often wonder what uh what it's going to be like for like the new generations. I mean, obviously it must be way easier to just 
you know, get into music right now for the first time and be like, oh, I'm just going to get on Spotify. And all of a sudden now you've listened to every band that's ever existed in, in an hour. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think they're also missing out on like the uh, the mystery and the uh, just the, the discovery of you know going to a show to see a band, and you know finding like three new bands on that show that you like, and then also being able to like, you know, you start seeing their T-shirts. I remember getting into bands off of just like another band I went to go see. It just like you see them wearing a band T-shirt, and you're like, oh. I've seen that name around. I wonder what that is. And you go home and you try to find that CD at like, you know, fantastic records or record archive or one of those classic ones. Yeah. I I really miss all that. I miss the compilations. I miss, uh, you know, I, I miss how it was harder to do. So you had to really put in the work to know those bands. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that. The, the compilations were obviously another thing that I, that I haven't really thought of lately that you bring up that that was a, a really easy way to to kind of learn about a lot of different bands. Um, so were there any other bands that you filled in for? Or was three or three kind of like the the last like really big one that you did? I think that was it. I think those three. I I, I almost did a a few others. Uh, the one I still kick myself over is Rain Supreme. Uh, that would have been really cool, but didn't do it yeah yeah that was a fun band like i mentioned before they were one of the bands that kind of you know revitalized me in hardcore and now you know jay's gone on to do other really cool things too so that that's cool to see yeah yeah have you heard that new band he's got and no i was thinking about that before we did the interview because i had a feeling it would come up in conversation I, i've really been meaning to check that out so maybe after you and i get done talking i'll, I'll have to try and check some of that out dude yeah the, the album just came out i think like this month and it's it's awesome it's very sick yeah, yeah, Rob Antonucci was saying he liked that band a lot, too, so I, I definitely, hearing both you guys say that is, is pretty much the only seal of approval I really need for it, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really good. Jay uh, from Rain Supreme plays bass in it, and then uh, this dude, Will, that was in uh, The Banner and a bunch of other really uh, good metal bands, too. Um, he's also a producer, and he uh, we actually tracked guitar for a Hit the Lights record with him, and he's in the band, too, so it's like a, a bunch of different dudes that we know that are making still making cool shit yeah it's cool to see everything like kind of come around like that where, where you'll see, you see people have been in the scene for so many years and still have the passion and the drive to do all this stuff you know i love it man it uh it it like gives me a kick in the ass every time i see like somebody somebody that influenced me or like a friend or just just anybody that i know that like either comes back and makes something cool or is like still pushing it so hard especially as you grow up i mean you know, I, I think everybody back home, everybody in the scene definitely knows. And I think that uh, that most recent Achilles show is definitely, this was talked about a lot, but uh, how hard it is to get older and to still create and to still make art and especially still make music. But it's such like a, an important thing to do. And so when you watch people that still like put it on the line like that and still give up that precious time after, you know, a 40 hour work week, to still make it to band practice with their friends and still write songs and still make stuff or if they're making other things if they're painting if they're drawing whatever it is i mean it's so hard to make art especially as it feels like the world is falling apart around us this is the time that we need it the most and it's always been super inspiring to see people still pushing and making it yeah i, I agree with that 100 percent um yeah like last last year I, I was in a pretty bad car accident and i had taken a few months off from work to recover and I went to a show at the Bug Jar with like the weight we carry, and there was this band on tour. I think they're called uh, Time and Pressure from uh, the Midwest, 
Um, yeah. And that show was just like a, it kind of lit the fire for me again. I was like, man, it's the, the exact thing you're talking about. Like all those dudes and the weight we carry, they all. I mean, you know, Nate Derby plays in like a million bands, but like, but like all those <laughs> other dudes, like they they work like you know, full time and they still have the passion and drive to do all this stuff. And, and it was like, man, I, I, some of those dudes have like, you know, like two jobs and then like three other side gigs and then they still do the band and they're still out, you know, hanging with friends and you see them at the bar like three nights a week. And I don't know how those dudes do it, but those dudes do it. Yeah. And that was what kind of, kind of lit the fire for me again. I was like, man, I want to start going to shows again, you know, maybe booking shows again. And then I, I, I've been wanting to do this podcast for a couple of years, but I just needed the right time to do it. I mean, it kind of sucks that the right time ended up being in the middle of a pandemic, obviously, but you know, uh, I guess no time like the present, as they say, you know, so that's what they say. I mean, this is a good time for people to sit around and listen to podcasts too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think the idea of booking shows again is, is kind of maybe going to fall by the wayside for me. So I'm a little nervous about what that's going to be like. Um, uh, yeah, very nervous about that, but uh, I mean, would be cool to uh, to see some more Josh Lyons uh, shows <laughs> in Rochester, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would be cool. It's definitely something I want to do, and maybe you know we'll see. I mean, you know, there's there's definitely bands that are out currently that I like, and you know, um, I, I mean, I, I I'd love to see Chris Ring doing more more hardcore shows again, like he was doing. Um, we'll see what happens with all his stuff moving forward. So now you and I were kind of talking in the beginning of the interview about how you and you and Chris have both kind of got into recording over the years. Uh, what kind of brought that on with you? I'm, I'm guessing it was kind of an organic thing with just playing in bands and you kind of like learned the, the, tr the trade just from doing it in the studio and stuff, right? Yeah, I was just, I loved being in the studio. That was like one of my favorite parts of being in a band is just chilling in the studio for, you know, weeks on end. Even in the early days, like going out to Watchmen to record with Doug um, I felt like it was, you know, there was so many buttons and lights and it seemed like, you know, the closest thing I'll ever get to like going into a spaceship <laughs> and, uh, there was always something to learn. And that was like really exciting too. Cause you know, you can only learn so much just at band practice from each other. There's like a, a, a point where you, you know, where you kind of stop like getting better, uh, as a, as a group maybe, or, or individually. And then like the studio, I felt like really helped elevate that it was there was a, a new person involved with the songs with us and uh, I always thought that was really interesting um, especially learning about tone learning about the you know playing live versus how you would actually play it on the record can be different and there was all these things in the early days that was like oh this is this is cool I want to do this as much as possible too and uh, you know obviously got much more time in the studio as as time went on you really end up living in the studio um, you know, there's some Hit the Lights records that we spent two months just literally living in the studio, 16-hour wow. days every single day, and that's all we did. And uh, I loved those times, and they were, like, really great. Even when, you know, you were arguing about songs or, or fighting over some guitar part or whatever, it was still, like, fun. And it was the only it was the only other thing where, like, you know, there's usually uh, some kind of stress or anxiety with the idea of, like, you know, making something that's permanent. But I really liked the idea that you could get in the studio and you could make something that was, you know, whatever you did right there, that lives on and that's just how it's going to be. And that was like inspiring as well to try to make something that, that could last and hopefully people liked. And uh, after time, just seeing that, you know, there's going to be a time where you're not going to be, nobody wants to see you jumping around on stage playing pop punk or playing whatever the heck you're, you're doing now. 
Uh, so you should probably have something else in music that you love that you can kind of transition into. And so songwriting and producing uh, both kind of seemed like the smartest spots for me because those were really what I loved. And I felt like they really go hand in hand. You know, if you write something, you hear it a certain way in your head. If you're not able to make it that way, you have to rely on somebody else to make it that way. Uh, but if you can produce, you can kind of, you know, as long as you're hopefully learning what you need to, you can kind of make things how you hear them in your head. And, uh, you know, it's an ongoing goal to really get there. But uh, that's one of the reasons I moved to Nashville, to, you know, big for recording and big for songwriting. And so that's kind of hopefully the next chapter. Uh, working on trying to do that, I just finished producing a EP for a pop punk band out of Philly called Goalkeeper. Um, that that started out a, a little rough, and uh, we worked on some stuff together. And now they are signed to uh, Vinny from Less Than Jake has a new label that he's launching this year, and I think he's basically launching it with this band, if uh, if I'm remembering that correctly. And so I'm really excited that they came to me to produce it. And I can't wait for it to come out. I hope a couple people like it. Yeah, that's cool. When you told me you were moving to Nashville, I had a feeling it was it was you know for the music aspect, obviously, because that's a pretty big hub for that kind of stuff, you know. Oh yeah, the the barbecue, the hot chicken, the music, the good weather. It's a it was kind of a, a whole package for me a little bit, but <laughs> you know it's hard to leave friends and family and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I figured you know the only way to to go forward is to get out of that comfort zone and to to keep pushing forward towards goals. So. I would I'd love to be able to just uh, eventually just be able to write for other artists and uh, you know producing some stuff would be cool too so that's what I'm doing here and uh, it's a cool studio that uh, lets me work out of there and everyone's really nice and uh, Will from Cartel uh, if you remember that band he's been uh, engineering for me and helping hook me up with the studio and stuff and uh, there's been a couple other people that have been really generous and it's, it's awesome to be in a city where there's so many people who are just you know musicians or they're artists in one way or another and it's cool to constantly be surrounded by that yeah that definitely sounds like it would be pretty cool now with the recording thing has this all kind of happened like word of mouth for you like to like as far as like recording bands and like and like getting stuff like that going yeah for the most part um obviously so getting started is like you know it's pretty hard to do if you if you haven't recorded somebody how do you get to record somebody you basically have to start with like a friend's band or like your own band or you know you, you got to figure out your way in um and i had a little hard time trying to figure out exactly how i was going to do that um i did end up i think but i tried out some things before i left rochester like i did the i did holy war uh praise um so i did that i, I rented out uh red booth to do the drums and then we did everything else in my mother's basement uh, which was really fun. Um, kind of helped give it like that raw vibe that we really wanted to go for, anyways. And then I did a a um, like a memorial song for uh, Wait We Carry. Um, that one turned out a little rough on my end. I think they did a great job, but uh, I was still learning at the time. And you know, it's kind of hard too when all your all your friends in the scene all kind of have go-to guys um, to talk somebody into coming to you over somebody that they know and trust and they already know the product they're getting is a little hard to do. Um, but at a hit the light show, I, I ran into these guys and goalkeeper and, uh, they were hitting up my friend to do a record 
and uh, he had showed us, you know, the band before, because he was like, oh, this band's t- trying to come in and, and do something here, but he was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it, and so I was familiar with it, and I just, I ran into the guys, well, you know, walking to get a sandwich, and uh, I talked to them, and they ended up hitting up my friend again, and, and I was just like, hey, man, why don't, why don't we do it together, you know, and you can kind of help show me the ropes a little bit. And uh, so we did a, an EP together for the band, and uh, that's what got them got them a small record deal. And uh, the label was totally cool with them coming. They wanted to come do the next one with me. And uh, at this point now, you know, I'm out of a, a nice studio in Nashville, and I got Will uh, doing the engineering. And it's, I mean, it's like a dream team for me right now. So it's great. And now, I guess, with the pandemic, like, and I, I think the South kind of reopened a little bit sooner than we did. Like, are you guys all, like, reopened back up and you're able to, like, record and everything now then? Or? Yeah, I think, uh, so Nashville is, like, officially opening, like, stage three right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, they've kind of been doing it. Um, you know, the South is definitely a, a, a little bit different here, but uh, I don't know if, I know Will, Will's very busy in the studio. He's always got stuff coming in. I don't have that much um We've been kind of waiting for the Skullkeeper record to come out so that I can start kind of pushing, um, you know, something that sounds good and that I'm proud of that that I got to to work on and, and really lead the way on. Um, I was hoping that was going to bring in some stuff, but obviously everything's getting pushed back because of uh, the pandemic and everything going on. So those four guys in that band, too, they had all these, like, tours going on. They were about to play Fest for the first time. Um they were like, you know, so excited about all these things. They got a, you know, music video and all this stuff, and now everything's just getting pushed. And it's, you know, their first thing. It's what they feel like is the, the first steps to their dreams coming true. And every day they just get told, you know, like, oh, next month, uh, next month. So feeling really bad for those dudes, but hoping that uh, everything will bounce back and the record can come out and they can get what they deserve yeah and that's actually a good tie into another question i guess um especially with you playing in a band too like like do you have any any thoughts or ideas of like on when shows are gonna come back and like what the vibe will be like for those i mean i think everything right now is kind of just a giant question mark we keep hearing new different things all the time um you know you hear something from the cdc and then you hear something from different mayors of different places and then uh then live nation has a totally different thing and then your manager sends an email that has a totally different idea and like it's really, really messy time. Um, I mean, like there was, there was, uh, for the longest time of this, uh, you know, the, the idea was that there weren't going to be any shows until 2021. And then, you know, management was saying, Oh, well, when all the shows come back spring 2021, everyone's going to flood the market. It's not really a real reason to jump on tour. You're just going to be in, in constant competition. So we're probably not going to come back for another year after that. So then you're thinking like, oh man, this might be two more years of this. Wow. Um, so it's been been a little gnarly. Uh, now that everything's starting to open up, uh, at the moment people are talking about uh, that we might do a tour um, maybe late spring, early summer next year. Uh, but that's if there's no spikes. And of course, right now, all sorts of places are already having spikes in COVID. So. So everything is just going to be a waiting game. Gonna gonna see what happens and uh, gonna maybe uh, take this time to <clears throat> figure out how to make a new Holy War record remotely or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, that would definitely be pretty cool. 
Yeah, that's that's the one thing I've been thinking about a lot. Um, like I was telling you before, I kind of want to do some shows. Is is every band's gonna want to go on tour when they're able to? And it's it's definitely gonna be pretty easy to, to book whatever band you want to book at that point. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely gonna be a, a lot of people trying to get out. Um, the worst part about it for us uh, was that we had uh, there's a new Joy Wave record that came out literally a week, I think almost to the day uh, from quarantine. Wow, that's so, crazy. We were we were just in Europe. We came back. We had a week home, and then we were off on tour. And then uh, we were about to do this like full U.S. headline tour. And the new record came out, and everyone was really excited. And like, you know, a week, maybe even just a couple days later, all of a sudden it was like, oh, everybody get comfortable, not going anywhere for a while. Yeah. So I mean, that's like you know, you spend like two years planning out the release of a record. You know, you spend all, all this time planning a, planning a tour, you know, whole, whole people's careers are based on, you know, getting those tours and getting those daily guarantees. And, and uh, you know, there's a whole crew you got to think about that was, you know, ready to get paid for two months and we were ready to get paid for two months and you have all these plans and all of a sudden, you know, just like every under uh, every other industry, all of a sudden everything shut down. And, uh, you know, it's hard to tell the government how much money you make playing guitar. So, getting those uh, unemployment checks is a little, little rusty too. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's crazy too because, like, when all this first started, I think a lot of us just thought, oh, maybe, maybe summertime. You know what I mean? And then it was like, oh, maybe fall. And now, and now, like you're saying, it's kind of like just just buckle up and see what happens type thing because we really don't know like where this is gonna take us. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's uh, it's wild. Everyone, everyone's kind of like you know texting each other and talking about jobs and uh, you know, in Nashville, it's definitely a weird place to go through this. Um, I think it'd be it'd be cool if I was in Rochester and I was with like friends and and family and at least the rest of the band and that would feel a lot more positive i think mentally um but me and my girlfriend just being stuck down here alone in quarantine uh was definitely really weird and then everything's starting to open up now keep running into people that you know because it's music city there's all these people that work on crews or just work you know as booking agents or you know whatever and everyone's kind of like what do we do that people are like yeah i mean i've been working in the music industry for 15 years and i'm waiting tables right now because like I didn't think about having backup skills. Yeah, it's not something like I, like I was saying before. It's just not something I think a lot of people were prepared for. And then you know, moving forward, like who knows what it's gonna be like going to shows. Like like some people are are, are wondering like how long we're gonna have to wear masks for. Like will we be, will we be wearing masks at the shows? And then just today I was reading. I think it was on Alt Press that there's some people in the UK that are suggesting that you have like a like a like a disinfectant mist that people get sprayed with when they walk into the shows like that just seems like wow like, okay yeah that's what i said i was like man i don't know if people i mean i guess if you really want to see a band you know but it's and then you know now like you're saying with joy wave you're you're more into like i mean people do dance i guess but it's not quite the same as like moshing and stage diving like i wonder like what a hardcore show is going to be like in a couple of years you know like because you know who's going to want to stage dive or mosh when they when this is all going on you know Exactly. I mean, I think like all facets of these things, you know, I mean, you're going to, are we going to have crowds where, you know, there's a hundred people packed into the bug jar with masks on? you got a hundred people in the bug jar. I don't know that masks are really going to be what's helping, you know? Um, then again, too, like also is the band 
you know, wearing a mask? Are they going to be disinfecting the mics every night at a local venue between each band? You know, there's like, there's a lot of questions and a lot of things that, uh, that I think people need to, to look at. And I think the small shows to me almost seem more dangerous than the big shows. Um, obviously I know no scientists here, but <laughs> I know, you know, the big shows seem to, they, they have a lot more help. Sometimes there's more space, stuff like that. But those small packed shows, I mean, the sound guy, he does not care. I don't see them wiping down those microphones between every band. But I think, I think it's going to be a, an interesting next few years. I wonder if this is going to be something we carry forward. Yeah, it's definitely going to be going to be an interesting couple of years. And and I honestly hadn't really thought about the the smaller shows with with the stuff you're talking about. That makes a lot of sense. And then to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, it kind of goes to my next topic about you talking about like you know crowds of people being packed in with masks. Um, so obviously in the last couple of months, you you've seen another resurgence in Black Lives Matter, and, and obviously for a good reason. Um, have you been kind of keeping tabs on that? And, and what are your thoughts on all that? Uh, absolutely, been keeping tabs. Um... I actually have to stop myself uh, different times of the day, uh, you know, where where either my anxiety gets a little bit too much, or um, you know I'm not getting anything done because I'm just trying to read and and take in as much information as possible. I think that it's it's wild to be alive in a time like this. I feel like through learning about the civil rights era in school, uh, I always found it was very interesting. And you know, I think as a kid, you think about things like man wouldn't it be cool to live through something like that and to be able to be a part of it? And then you do, and it becomes this whole different, very real, very scary thing. Um, there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear, but just trying to be as positive as possible and, and hope that, uh, that there's going to be at least some kind of positive change that comes from all this. Uh, though I think growing up in like skateboarding and punk rock, we all know all too well that, police brutality has been around it's probably gonna keep being around um the powers that be are probably not on our side um i kind of view everything kind of as like a the people versus the power um i think obviously you get some people in there that maybe want to do good but i don't trust most politicians personally and i think it's going to take a lot of pressure to get a lot of change to happen but a lot of change needs to happen yeah, I can agree with that 100%. And yeah, I think about the civil rights thing a lot too, because obviously I think our, our parents were probably around for that. And, you know, now we're kind of living in a different kind of element there. And, you know, I think like you were kind of alluding to with the skateboarding, uh, I think like being involved in punk rock and stuff, we were kind of lucky in a way to be insulated where, you know, most people that we grew up with were, were like like-minded and we didn't really have to deal with a lot of the crap that, that we're kind of seeing like going on right now. And now even even now, like you see some kids that were, involved in hardcore and punk kind of questioning a lot of this stuff that's going on and i'm just like like do you not understand you know what i mean like we all like i have minorities in my family you know it's, it's not we're not black obviously but like it's, it's similar to me you know what i mean like like just Absolutely, thinking about yeah. like just think about all the shit that that has gone down and like one of my best friends is black you know what i mean like and, and obviously i know you have a lot of black friends so it's just you know i i i 100 I, I agree with you though change definitely needs to happen but i'm also skeptical about what kind of change is going to come from this and you know like how long how long the change is going to take and or last you know absolutely and i mean i think there's a lot of people too um that are in power that are they're saying a lot of the right words and they're they're putting on a big show 
and then they go, uh, you know, behind when nobody's looking, and they do what they've always done anyways. And, uh, you know, like the, uh, I believe it was the, like the mayor of D.C., you know, she commissioned to have that whole street painted Black Lives Matter, and then she gave, I think, another $2 million to the cops, like, two days later. Yeah. You know, there's been all sorts of stuff like that. Similar thing going on in Nashville. They've been really, really good about... Um, you know the protest uh they've actually been been great and they've been like extremely peaceful here i think there was only like kind of one act of violence and it was definitely a like a white supremacist dude that they caught and stuff um uh but everyone's been great here which has been really positive and nice because there's obviously a lot of worry being in the south um but then just literally this week they gave another like couple like million dollars to they upped like the the cops um budget and stuff like that so i i think it, it's kind of seeming to me like they're they're saying the right things in front of the camera they're still just going to do what they're going to do behind and we need to keep posting and keep putting the pressure on and keep protesting and keep fighting it and it's it's kind of awesome to see so many people get riled up and get involved finally too you know I think uh, it's been so easy, um, even though I think like, you know, we've been, we've been lucky to be in like punk rock and stuff. And, uh, and that in itself kind of pushes you to be involved in your community a little bit more and involved in the issues. I mean, how many times have we stood there in the crowd and listened to a singer of either, you know, a, a national band or even a local band talk about politics and talk about, uh, you know, code and right and wrong and, and how things should be on stage. Um, that was a great thing that I think is missing a lot from uh, from the music scene these days, but I feel like that's going to come back from this. And I feel like uh, so many more people are becoming interested in these kind of uh, civil changes. And they can, I mean, the streets are being flooded with people, online's flooded with people. It's very confusing to see people from our scene not understand what's going on but it's really cool to see so many people get it and jump on and get involved yeah 100 percent. and you know i think we're kind of lucky in our city where we actually do have a black mayor so you kind of feel like she's going to try to implement some real change um and we actually had the black lives matter thing painted downtown as well and it's a weird coincidence that you would mention a white supremacist causing a lot of damage down there because i can't 100 percent confirm this but a lot of people online we're pinpointing um i don't you you probably saw at least some of the pictures of what happened in rochester uh when oh, it all yeah. started and there was a dude with like like mutton chops and some weird hat on like destroying a cop car and like people uh went down the rabbit hole and figured out that that he is a white supremacist and that he was doing all that to try to like you know make it seem like it was a bunch of liberal democrats like causing all this trouble when it was really him like and i almost wonder if a lot of cities had a lot of similar shit going on where you know it was people kind of disguising themselves to try to make like the other side look bad you know yeah i've actually seen a a a decent amount of videos uh that either allude to that or have proof of it um so and and i mean that's one of the scariest parts to me to me is like the the people protesting isn't scary the uh you know the the fighting against the government that's not scary it's really i mean obviously it's the 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 police in the military gear that's a little scary. You know, I'm, I'm scared for our citizens that are just trying to, you know, do possibly one of the most American things you can do. 
you know, uh, protest injustices. And uh, so that's scary. But the, the scariest thing to me is those secretive, those guys that are framing people and using this to like, I don't know, start other things or to do, uh, raise, you know, the, the, the limit for excessive force or whatever their goal is, they're doing it. And there are going to be people who believe that it's, you know, the, uh, the, the people that want change. And, uh, it's obviously it's going to make the, the movement look bad, um, to those people that believe it. And it's, it's scary to see how gullible people can be. Cause obviously a lot of those people I think are, are people in some of our families and uh, coworkers and people that we have to be around once we leave our beautiful skateboard and hardcore <laughs> and punk rock scenes, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with once you. Once we leave the bubble, uh, everything all of a sudden becomes much more eye-opening. Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly. Um, yeah, that, cause that, that's interesting because that's one of the things I was asking people when I, I did like a bunch of small business interviews a few weeks ago and, and I was asking people like, you know, if they think things will return to normal and I had a really good answer uh, from this girl, Jessie, that, you know, she doesn't want things to return to normal because, you know, this has been like a really eye-open experience now and we need to have like a different a different normal moving forward, you know, where everyone's accepted and, and you know, that, that just, that or her statement really hit home to me and made a lot of sense, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I, I think that's a awesome way to think about it. <clears throat> this is, you know, instead of instead of this being like some weird time and, and we get to go back to normal, this is the, this is so painful. This is such a terrible year because it's a, a transformative time. And anytime you go through like a, a metamorphosis like this, it's going to be painful. Change is painful. Um, so that's, that's also how I'm kind of looking at this too, is I'm, I'm kind of being hopeful and thinking of, you know, the, there's more of us than there are them. Uh, you know, maybe we can get some good change. Maybe we can put the, the pressure on. Maybe we can hold out the fight long enough. And at least, you know, what if, if I mean, things aren't going to be perfect. That's never going to happen. But at least hopefully going forward, people will be a little bit softer, maybe think about things more. Maybe cops will get more training. Maybe we actually will defund the cops and restructure the entire police force, our entire community services. Um, I think all those things would be great for literally every single person. You know, there's no bad side to any of that. So hopefully somebody gets to just, uh, you know, have a conversation with somebody who has their finger on all the power and uh, they can just have a good conversation and figure this all out. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I mean, and it is an election year, obviously, too. So that kind of makes you a little nervous, you know. Um, you know, and again, we're only like halfway through the year, so who knows what other kind of fucked up shit could happen the rest of this year. I mean, you know, I guess it can only get better from here. So <laughs> it seems like it's getting wilder and wilder sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I guess that pretty much uh, wraps up all the questions I have. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to add or anything like that to the interview? Uh, no, my dog was trying to add something earlier. <laughs> if you heard any kind of weird snorts and shit, but he was just trying to play. No, I didn't hear that. I, I've had a lot of fireworks going off in the neighborhood the last few weeks, okay. so we'll see yeah, if uh, we'll see if that makes the interview too. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah, man. Uh, well, I think uh, doing these podcasts is great, man. I hope this really helps open up uh, open up the scene a little bit more, man. I'd love to see some more people get involved, new people, some of the people that you know have maybe grown out of it a little bit. I'd like to see some of the people that have been in it get a little bit more involved in the history and stuff i feel like this could be a, a cool thing that you're doing man so thank you for having me that wraps up episode 14 
Thanks to Kevin Mahoney for doing the interview with me. Special thanks to Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast, as well as all the software issues. As always, I want to thank my family for your never-ending support. Future episodes will feature interviews with Jesse Moscato, Scott Vogel, Patrick Martin, and Jim Byrne. There's plenty of other guests coming up in future episodes as well, so make sure you keep your eye on EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com and give us a follow on Instagram at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.